to episode 58 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in this episode, we'll be talking about book groups, yes or no. And then <laughs> two novels about young women entering the world, uh, The Fountain Overflows by Rebecca West versus Rosamund Lehman's Imitation to the Waltz, both rugged modern classics as well. Yes. Um, but before we get to that, Rachel, how are you and what are you reading? I'm very well, thank you. Um I'm recovered from my cold. Those of you who listened last time heard rather croaky me. <laughs> I'm back with my usual voice. I don't know what. How, how long ago did we record? I guess just under two weeks, wasn't it? Okay. Um, I've been to Yorkshire. Oh, yeah. Um, on, my, on a school trip. Um, not because I'm at school, but because <laughs> I am a teacher. So I took my year nines on a trip to Bronte Country, which was wonderful. They had an amazing time. I had an amazing time. It was sunny. I got to go to the Bronte Parsonage again, which I always love doing. Yeah, I saw your photos um, on your blog. It looked, looked yeah. much sunnier than when I went. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people always think that it's going to be miserable there, but actually, I mean, it was shockingly sunny. Also incredibly hot when you're trying to march 30 children <laughs> up a hill, as I just Oh, yeah, it's quite a steep hill, isn't it? Yeah, it was sweaty. Um, but it, <laughs> it was lovely. We had such a fun time. And it was also lovely the way that the children like genuinely enjoyed it and they really loved being in the house and they were saying things like, oh, you know, this really helps us understand the books and I can't, you know, and they were asking really insightful questions to the people and I was just really proud of my kids and I just thought, oh, so nice. Oh, that's cool. Um, Yes, it was lovely, really nice trip and um, I'm still immersed in researching my uh, master's dissertation, which is on Charlotte Bronte and religion. Um, And so I'm nearly finished Villette, which I've been reading forever. I just don't love it, so it's taken me forever to read it. Um, And I'm still reading my way through The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock. I'm allowing myself (laughs) a few pages every night. Um, It's really good, but I I just, I feel guilty every time I'm reading something that's not Bronte-focused. Ah, sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what about you, Simon? Uh, well, I should say first, the, the, I've been to Bronte Passage once, and they, and which was which was good. I enjoyed it, but there was a school party there of, of younger children, I think. And my brother and I were the only other people there, and we would go in, in each room. The teacher, very kindly meant, would hold this like thirty children in the corridor, saying, "No, wait until those two men are finished in that room." And so Con and I would have these all these eyes on us as we were trying to read the boards and get out of each room as quickly as possible before the <laughs> flood of children came in. Um, and also saw the you know where the railway children was filmed on the steam train. So that was yes, really, yeah. I still haven't been on the steam train, and next time I've promised myself to go. And I went to Bronte Balti as well when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that? Um, it's near the bottom of the hill somewhere. Oh, okay. I think it's near the the, the working railway station. Um, but yes, apparently where the Brontes got their curry, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Was it nice? Uh, yes, I think it was quite pleasant. Yes, I don't know if it's still. It was quite ten or more years ago now, so it might not still be there. But um, so yes, we stayed at the youth hostel, which was yeah, so did we. I always stay at the youth hostel. That's my third time now. Ah, oh, regular. <laughs> I'm a life member of the YHA. Thank you very much. But, wow. um, <laughs> but yes, I'm enjoying. Well, I start of a bank holiday weekend here, um, yes. and. Um, yeah, I've had some friends over, did a bit of bank holiday cleaning, and just before we started recording, I started to read um, Robert Nathan's Stone Cliff. Oh. Have you talked about Robert Nathan before? No, I don't think you have. So he's an author who's very, uh, an American author, very easy to find in America, and very 
hard to find here. And in fact, all the other books I've read by him I bought in America, but this one I did order. Um, I think, I guess he's most famous for Portrait of Jenny, which is about, um, a girl who ages at an extremely fast rate, I think. I can't remember. It's been a while since I read it. It was turned into a film that was quite famous in its day in the 50s or 60s or something. But Stonecliff, um, I was reading the synopsis of it this week and thought, oh, I have to order that and read it immediately because it's about uh, a reclusive author whose characters come to life. And I thought that ah. sounded very up my street. Um, and his, I like his novels a lot. They're sort of... Um, they're always very short and, and just very well-told stories. And they feel... I know, like drenched 1950s American nostalgia, even though I was not around in the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, he's just got a good way with words for making you feel like it's a nice way to relax and listen to it. It feels like you're listening to someone in the corner of a pub tell yarns from their past sort of thing. That sounds um, intriguing. Yeah. Well, how do you spell his name? Uh, Nathan, like the boy's name, is his surname. And Robert Nathan. Oh, um, never he... heard of this man. Is he, I'm presuming he's dead. Yes, I think so. Um, and he wrote an awful lot of books and Quite a lot of them, all the ones I've read, have a slightly fantastic bent to them. But I think he did do other book types of books as well. So I also read The Train in the Meadow, which is about a train that breaks down and it's, um, it turns out they're sort of going to purgatory or something. <laughs> um, and one I think you'd like called Mr. Whittle and the Morning Star, which I, is about how a man has an encounter with a star that changes his life, essentially. Um, yeah, it's a very sweet, sweet book. Well, yeah. I'm just looking him up on Wikipedia, and for me, the most interesting thing about him is that he was married seven times, which I find oh, I missed that. Ah. shocking. How can <laughs> you be bothered to get married that many times? That sounds exhausting, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that is a new slant. But y- yes, he's <laughs> he, he's published a lot in like mass market paperbacks. Oh, um, right. So oh. I found a few of those in America. But um, yes, I, I think I did manage to find Stonecliff in this country, but most of his books aren't particularly easy to find. Um, and so far I'm enjoying it. It's very easy to read, so it's, it's very short. I'll probably finish it today. <laughs> but yeah, um, huh? I felt like, a, felt like a treat. I was also reading a book group book, but we can come on to that in our first topic. Wow, nice yes. segue. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so I am a member of currently one book group, uh, have in the past been a member of Many <laughs> at, at, at at the peak, I was a member of four at one time. I think <laughs> I have worn, worn it down a bit. But the one I'm in at the moment, um, I am reading Francis Bufford's Golden Hill. Which, oh yeah, do you know about that? I do, and I've been meaning to read it. Yes, well, it's about 18th century New York, um, and thus not really of any interest to me. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you know me in historical fiction. Yeah. Um, and I guess as a sort of stop to the 18th century, the first page is one long sentence, and I was thinking, oh gosh, is this going to be the whole thing? But it after the first page, he got used to doing normal sentences. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it is indicative of the thing about book groups is that it does make you read things that you probably wouldn't want to read normally, which most people talk about as as a good thing. I don't particularly want new ideas for things to read because (laughs) (laughs) I've got plenty of books to read already. But I do love talking about books with people, which is why I'm in a book group. (laughs) And the books are sort of just things I have to read in order to enjoy that. (laughs) Um, Are you in any book groups, past or present? No, I'm just trying... I don't think I ever have been part of a book group. Hmm. I think... um, 
I think I tried. Yes, I was. We had a book group for a while when I worked at the V&A. Where it didn't last very long because um, people, number one, we just degenerated into talking about other stuff. Mm. Um, because it was work-based, I think um, we ended up talking about work stuff. And also people would say, oh, yes, but um, actually I didn't have time to read it. And we took it in turns to choose mm, the book. Yeah. And basically, whenever somebody chose a book that someone else didn't want to read, they just wouldn't read it and then would turn up and say, oh, sorry, I haven't had time. Oh. So it it was kind of a bit of a non-starter, really. I quite enjoyed it for the short time I was in it because I I did introduce me to some authors that I hadn't um, ever even heard of, actually, or people that I had heard of but thought, oh, no, that's not really my cup of tea. And I wouldn't say that I read anything that changed my life, but what it did show me is actually sometimes it's good to read outside of your comfort zone or to try something different, because even if you think you're not going to like it, there's probably elements of it that you will enjoy. And I remember reading um, Being Dead by Jim Crace for it. Hmm. And um, I, first of all, I was like, this is you know weird. It's basically about the decomposition process of dead bodies. Yeah. But actually, it was a really beautifully written and really moving book. And I've really enjoyed his other books since. And I've never even heard of him before then. Um, so I was really grateful for that recommendation. But I've never really felt compelled to join another book group. I think the minute I feel pressured to read something or I have to read something for a particular time, it just makes me not want to read it. I don't know why, but it's yeah. like assistance yeah. to authority <laughs> and i am usually finishing the book up until at the moment the book group starts i'm walking down the road to it whilst finishing the book <laughs> um mostly because otherwise i can't make myself finish it um, unless i'm really loving it and in fact the one i the book i was reading when we recorded the last episode um Kamchatka by marcelo figueras was a book group book that i did really enjoy and would never have thought of myself so sometimes it does really work but um i think uh, yeah, as you say, it's not just a selection of books that makes a difference. It is how the meetings are approached. Mm. Um, and Jenny Hartley wrote a really interesting book called Reading Groups that was the result of, she sent surveys out to lots of different reading groups and about you know how they run meetings, how they choose books, etc. And compile, compiled the answers into this really fascinating look at um, how they work. And I left one book group that I was in for quite a long time, partly because it was really big and I was never seeing the same people each time but partly because I, I don't like it when people talk about real life applications of the things in the book or the real world or something um there'd be you know we do books about i remember we did regeneration by pat parker and mm. most of the people were just talking about how war wasn't good it's like well sure war isn't good but that's not talking about the book i want to talk about <laughs> the book and it doesn't have to be you know it's not an academic pursuit it's not you know i'm not expecting people to come with you know essays but i want to talk about was the writing good? <laughs> was you know was the characters well created? Not just what do we think about what the people did and what happens in it? Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I my sister used to have a book group um, when she lived down a little road a few years ago, and she started up a book group. And I remember her saying, "Oh, do you want to come along one night?" And I thought, "Oh, do you know what? everyone's going to hate it if I come because the minutes do you say." I'm an English teacher. They're going to be like, oh, here we go. You know, she's she's going to be going off on one about metaphors or something. <laughs> but I went along, and it just basically they spent five minutes talking about, oh, did you like it? No, I didn't really like it. And then it was just chatting about other stuff. Mm. And I thought, this isn't really a book group, is it? 
Exactly. And in fact, yeah, Jenny Hartley has some people who, you know, either that is their group or, you know, they have firm rules that you can't mention anything apart from the book. And I think it, you do have to find the right, the right book group for your take. Because some people do want, you know, it might be like a group of young parents or something who just want to get out the house and see other people who aren't children. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. That's great for them. Or it might be, I know, people who just want it, something to force them to read a book if they don't normally pick books up, but they don't actually need to talk to them people. Whereas, you know, for me it is, I want to talk about literature with people, not like grand literature necessarily, but I want to talk about what authors are doing and, and whether or not they've done it well. And that's what I enjoy. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting and and intellectually engaging and expanding experience as well to talk about books with people, mm, and mm. especially to be challenged by other people. I love it when I've not liked a book mm. and when somebody else has loved a book and they try and persuade me otherwise, and they start talking about things that perhaps I've missed. But for me, like, I, I've never really felt particularly compelled to join a book group, because certainly not since I've become a teacher, because basically I'm in a book group already at school. You know, I teach kids books every day, so mm-hmm. I have I have these discussions on a daily basis, and I don't really feel the need to then go home and have more, I suppose. And also I have my blog, and I find that's a that enables me to get my thoughts out about a book and then what people say in the comments helps me to think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not as good as I used to be at engaging with comments just because I don't have as much time, but I mean, I, as, something, as soon as I've done this master's degree, I want to get better at doing that. Um, mm. And I think that's also what's nice about doing it on a blog is I've chosen what book I want to read. Um, and I do think, especially when you don't, when you're the same as me, we've got tons and tons and tons of unread books on our mm-hmm. shelves. Um, I find book book clubs tend to choose books that have just come out or books that have, have been quite popular in the last six months. I don't necessarily have a copy. I've got to go out and buy one. I'm just adding to the pile of books. Um, and actually, I'm more interested in, in stuff like the stuff you do on your blog when you do a, books from a particular year or books mm-hmm. from across the century. It means that you can choose from things you already have. Yeah, definitely. I think... And that's certainly one of the reasons I started that up, because I think it is a nice way to, you know, encourage people to read from their own TV powers. One of the reasons I do really like the book I stayed in is because they don't do, you know, the modern issue-driven books all the time. Just looking at, I'm just looking on the screen now at the upcoming books, and we've got things by Hardy. We're doing Guard Your Daughters by Diana Tatton, which is my suggestion. I've got Jose Saramago, George MacDonald Fraser, like a nice mix of different countries and different times. Um, It does help that I run the website so I can just you know quietly oh, leave off things if I really don't want to read <laughs> yes yeah, so I say run the website it's just a WordPress but still yes it's um it means if you Google it book club Oxford they often find us and often they always send me an email because my email address is on there saying can we come and I say yes lovely it'd be lovely to have you and probably only about a fifth of the people who email ever actually come thinking what is it about my yes we'd love to meet you email that puts them off so much I don't understand well, I think it's probably quite intimidating, though, isn't it, going along to something for the first time? Yeah, I don't remember precisely how I felt, because I've been going for 11 years now. But, um, my goodness. I know, I started, basically, as soon as I finished my undergraduate degree, I thought, now I need someone to play a place where I can talk about books, because I'm not doing it at university anymore. And then obviously I went back to university after that. <laughs> but, um, but yes, yeah, so I, I remember emailing just saying, like, do, is it, like, friendly essentially it's like well we do talk about the book but it is a nice group and and it is a lovely group um very small it's only about six or six to eight of us at any meeting but um but yes it can i can imagine it is quite intimidating particularly if you 
you know, if you don't know precisely what sort of group it's going to be, or if you know, if it's the first time you've done it, or if you've not studied English since O level or GCSE or whatever, then um, yeah, I think it's incumbent on book groups to make sure they are welcoming to outsiders. I think so, and I think also, you know, there's a lot of like I always say to my kids as well. The first reaction that you have to a book is always emotional, and there's nothing wrong or less valuable in a discussion about a book um if you focus on your emotions rather than talking about literary devices mm. or things the most interesting thing for me when i talk with my kids about books is how they feel about it how they've responded to it and how it's moved them and then from there you go on to talking about why yeah, but yeah. having that initial reaction is what's important and i don't i don't think you have to come to these meetings saying oh actually i found the metaphor of water throughout the novel really fascinating and it links to this this and this i mean you, know, you don't have to be trained to yeah. to read really because reading is essentially um an emotional process isn't it yeah and i think that's something that where perhaps people's conception of the study of English, or indeed, if they've not had great teachers, their actual study of English, is that it is just pick out the imagery or something. Whereas, as you say, there's no point in an author doing that if it doesn't have an emotional impact or, yeah. or, or you know, an intellectual impact or some sort of impact. It's, it's never just there for no reason. Or if it is, it's not good literature. <laughs> but, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, we did have one guy who only came once. He was an Argentinian professor, oh. not of literature, I think, but a professor visiting the university. Um, and he happened to come the week that we were doing P.G. Woodhouse. <laughs> and I discovered that, I mean, this may not be by any means universal in Argentina, but certainly the humour didn't seem to appeal to him. And okay. I think also he thought we were a much more um, literary book group than we were. <laughs> he wasn't very impressed. Um, he never came back. Oh dear. <laughs> I think, you know, it's I think it's a lovely thing to do to have a community of people to talk about books. And I think perhaps once I've finished my master's degree and i've got a bit more free time it might be something i look into doing or joining um i suppose i just feel a bit i don't know anxious about going somewhere and i mean i worry sometimes that i'm going to end up being you know when you put across a viewpoint and other people are like oh she's weird or <laughs> um, you know like if you go into a room and say oh i voted for brexit and you know, everyone gives you dagger eyes. You don't know, if you don't know the lay of the land, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you vote for Brexit? Of course I didn't. <laughs> I was going to say, just going to clarify. No, of course, it would be a welcoming space if you had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you hadn't, I just wanted to clarify, <laughs> lest our listeners were like, oh, that's not what I expected of Rachel. <laughs> but, um, yes, I, I, the thing I have found occasionally is a bit fraught at book group, is if someone recommends a, or chooses a book that is their absolute favourite book, and then if people don't like it, they take it quite personally. Yeah, um, it's or, a risk. Yeah, or more often, they're like, if someone doesn't like it, they're sometimes a bit hesitant about saying it, and we, particularly, in, you know, in my in this book group, but I hope in many, it just has to be very free, like, if you don't like it, that's fine. You're not saying that the person who chose it is a bad person, <laughs> you, know, you just need to say... Because it's almost like, oh, I'm really, really sorry, but I just didn't like it. It was fine. I chose Ivy Conton Burnett recently, and everyone hated it. <laughs> it was fine. Well, there's no surprise. <laughs> Except for, my, for one lady called Margaret, who did enjoy it. And I was like, I, if I, I thought when I chose it, if one person likes her, then I'll have succeeded. So, well, there you are. You've yeah, got your um, The rest of the poor people who had to... Well, actually, quite a few of them gave up, I think, but <laughs> those who tried to read her and didn't enjoy it. Um, sorry to them. 
But, you know, at least they were they were able to try something new. Exactly. And now when someone says to them, do you like having gone to planet? They can say no. <laughs> yes, so. and they'll have evidence to back it yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and our recommendation, or the way we choose books, is essentially whenever our list is getting short, we just say, what books do people want to do? And this, everyone just chips in, which seems to work pretty well. I think this sounds really lovely. I think it's something I might like to do, especially when I've got my own flat. That would be really nice to invite yeah. people around. And... Of course, there's the whole discussion of where it happens as well, because, yes, mm. ours is always in, in a pub. But the, but I did was, I was in one back in Worcestershire where it was in people's houses, and that is lovely as well. Um, although occasionally I've heard that, well, in fact, I think it's in Jenny Hartley's book again, it can be get competitive about the snacks. <laughs> yes, I could imagine that. Gets, um, I would imagine that my, my sister's book group would have been like that. Yeah. She's, she's a very good baker, though. She doesn't need to worry. But I'd, I'd be that person who's like running to Sainsbury's to <laughs> quickly buy some of those little packs of mini muffins or something. <laughs> And then pretending I'd baked them myself. Yeah. You're coming in 10 minutes and you're madly wrapping everything you can yeah. see in phyllo pastry. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I think the one I'm in now used to be in people's houses, but they did find people were getting too pressured to do that. So they were like, let's just go to the pub and do it. Yeah. I think that's quite nice, actually, to have it in a neutral space. It's much less threatening as a new person if yeah. you don't know anyone. Definitely. Although for a long time we were the same night as the um, Dungeons and Dragons people, so we had to make sure that we weren't taking their space or vice versa. Quite a cultural mix. <laughs> um, one group I was in, um, intermittently for the past 15 years, I think, um, but I've taken a bit of a break, is a postal book group. Um, that, uh, it, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but it's, yeah, pe yeah people from, um, an online book discussion Yahoo group I'm in, um, if these, depending on how many people join in, we, we um, pass around a book. We're always posting to the same person in a chain of, say, 12 people right. um, every month. And at the end of 12 months, you get your original book back with a notebook filled with everyone's comments. And you, oh, um, that's lovely. Yeah, which is rather nice, as long as you end up posting within the, your own country. Otherwise, it's very expensive. But it is lovely yeah. to, to get it back. And because it's a book, uh, group or at least a, a discussion list of people with very similar tastes to me um it does mean i end up reading lots of books that i really enjoyed but i did yeah i did take a break for a, a cycle because i've been doing it for so long <laughs> i always seem to be madly trying to read the book at the last minute yeah i mean but, when it becomes a pressure then it's not enjoyable is it um, yeah particularly if it's a long book and you're just <laughs> you're turning the pages madly <laughs> And I think it's also about choosing a sensible time frame, like, you know, doing it once a month rather than every week and something like that, because, yeah, you know, it does take time, and especially if somebody picks a chunkster. Exactly, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what long books we have done. Um, I think I've just never read the books when they're long books, and it's like, oh, I missed that month. <laughs> Do you think that um, being part of a book group has changed your reading in any way or do you think that you've always remained the same reader well that's a good question um i think at heart i've remained the same reader but mm. it i'm trying to think if there's anyone i think the one author i i, I really um discovered i loved through book group um is milan Kundera, and through him and through liking him it has changed the sort of authors I like a bit as well. So I'm mm. more willing to read, you know, postmodern writers or people who play around with structure a bit more. Um, and we did his book called Immortality. And again, I think I was the only person who liked it, even though I didn't suggest it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, 
often it's helped me confirm the sort of reader I am. I think actually I don't like this sort of book. And, and yeah. I thought I wouldn't and I didn't. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, that's useful as well to know because I think if I only ever read the, exactly the same sort of book and never tried anything else, I don't know. I, it, not only would, would I never find these people I turn out I do like, but also if it, I wouldn't really know that the stuff I was enjoying was actually as good as I thought. It's like, well, maybe I've just never tried anything else and therefore I'd love other things more. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's yeah. good to be able to confirm that you you have a niche, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, like reading Kanchaka recently, I don't think it's going to set me off reading lots of political Argentinian novels, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but it certainly has you know, made a bit more variety. And then when I next go back to, you know, in E.M. Delafield, I've got more more variety of literature to compare it against. <laughs> One of the things I have found it's useful for as well is making myself read the books that I've got on my shelves for ages and I haven't read. Because if I make my book read it, then I have to read them. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I recently read uh, Miguel Sayuko's Illustrado, uh, which I'd had for 10 or more years. And it's a Filipino writer. Um, or he's a Filipino writer. And I wanted to read it because I wanted to read a Filipino writer, but I also thought, I'm never going to pick this up. And then I really liked it, but again, nobody asked it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I'm Note a bit of a self, troublemaker never, in my book. Yeah, never join Simon's book group. <laughs> no, they're very tolerant of me. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> um, but I guess because everyone gets a more or less fair share of recommendations, we can cope with it. If, if it was just one person deciding all the books, I, I think probably everyone would leave the book group pretty quickly. Well, yes. Um, if you were recommending a book to a book group, what would you pick? Oh, that's an interesting question. Put you on the spot, yeah. Well, first of all, would you pick something you'd already read or something you hadn't read yet? I think I'd pick something I already read because I'd want to get the measure of the group to see whether our tastes were going to be compatible. Mm. Good point. So I think I would probably recommend... Um, maybe something, probably something middle-brow. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what? I'd probably recommend um, To the North by Elizabeth Bowen. Ah, yeah. Because that has been one of the books that really did change my reading habits. When my friend recommended it to me and I read that was my first Bowen and I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And that kind of branched me on a whole new type of writer. Yeah, yeah. And I think, number one, I would love to see what other people think of it and whether they have the same reaction as me. And number two, I would hope for people to to love it and then give them that same joy of of, of discovering Elizabeth Byrne and then maybe reading some more authors like her. Oh, very good choice. And what about you? Well, you see, I have done it many times. So what would I... um... The one I have made basically all my book groups I've been in read is Miss Hargreaves. Oh, Miss Hargreaves, of course. <laughs> but I would yes. just steal myself at first for the idea that people wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> and I've managed to cope with that. <laughs> uh, um, gosh, I, yeah, I didn't, if, if I had to just pick one, it probably would be that one because I want everyone yeah. to read it. <laughs> and I I think, yeah, it's all like, basically my mission in life is to, <laughs> to read that book. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and it's probably not a great example for finding, you know, it, it doesn't do the same things that you suggested, um, Bowen does. Although having said that, I mean, the, the idea of the, the, um, 
fantastic novel, i.e. not fantasy, but, you know, elements of fantastic yeah. in, and not um, magical realism. I think it's an, a genre of literature that a lot of people don't come across until they're introduced to it, and there's a lot of it about, and if you like it, like I do, it's good to know about it. So Yeah. There you go. But yes, the ones I've recommended coming up, I think, as I said, um, Guide Your Daughters, I've persuaded everyone to do. And I... I think there's a there's a lovely lady called Ruth who goes who has very similar tastes to me, and so often we sort of recommend books together. I like one of us will say, "Oh, we should do something by this author," and the other one will say the book in question. Um, and between us, I think we came up with the Towers of Trebizond by Rose Macaulay, because I said it would be nice to read something by Rose Macaulay, and she said she liked that one. And I started it ages ago and didn't get very far, so this will make me actually read it. Well, that's good. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the the good thing about book groups is that it does encourage you to to get stuff read and it's nice to have a community of people that are reading along with you and that you can share your ideas but it gives you a reason to read really. Um and I think that reading does bring people together. Literature does bring people together. It enables people to challenge themselves and interrogate their own opinions and their worldview and perhaps hopefully sometimes to come away from something with a more kind perspective or a more um, open perspective about things um, and when you're reading stuff that you wouldn't normally you're being introduced to those viewpoints that perhaps you're purposely avoiding sometimes I think some people mm-hmm. choose not to read certain things because they don't want to be challenged yeah absolutely and it is great to get all these perspectives from people who have probably not that much in common with me except a love of books yeah um, yeah and nice. that is that not the greatest thing to have in common well there you go mm. lovely very very moving yeah <laughs> um well i think it's clear what my uh, teal book decision will be is that i am fully yes in the camp of book groups with a caveat that it has to be the right sort of book group <laughs> for me yes um how about you I think so, yes. And I think if, uh, like I say, if, if my job wasn't to, to talk about books all day as it is, um, mm-hmm. I probably would be in one. Yeah. One day. <laughs> one day. One day. Of course, yeah, for the second half of uh, this podcast, um, I sent Rachel a list of books that I was thinking mm-hmm. about reading, <laughs> um, asked her if she'd read any of them, and she had read three of them, of which we've whittled down to. Uh, the Fountain Overflows by Rebecca West and Invitation to the Waltz by Rosamund Lehman, which I've so I've just read both of them, but it's been a while for you, hasn't it, Rachel? So yeah, I think you're going to have to summarise both. I was going to say, are you feeling confident? Or, if no. not, I'm happy to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Invitation to the Waltz uh, is uh, not a diurnal novel, as we learned in our <laughs> episode a while ago. I.e., it's all set in one day. That day in question being Olivia Curtis's seventeenth birthday. So the first bit is her waking up and opening her presents, and then she goes off to a ball. I can't remember if it's her first ball or if it's just one of her early balls, but um, she is, yeah, very nervously going to this place. She doesn't know that many people. She's not quite as well-to-do as some of the other people, but she's got her sister Kate there um, as well, and there are various eligible men there that she's hoping will ask her to dance. She's been accompanied by a not particularly eligible but single (laughs) man um, who... Yeah, she's rather horrified by it. And it's quite a short uh, novel that just essentially looks at the two girls um, or young women's emotions and uh, experiences on on a single day. So that's that one. Um, And that was from 1932. Um, The the Fountain Overflows is a bit later. I think it's 1950-something. 
uh, and it's about um, a family of three sisters and a brother and parents. The lead is Rose, uh, and this family, most of them are very musically gifted. One of the sisters is not, but doesn't realise this. Um, and a lot of it is about them pursuing their music, their pianists. Um, it's also about their family dramas. The, the father is in some financial hot water and is often quite absent. Um, this is a slightly strange section with a poltergeist, <laughs> which we have to talk about. Uh, there's also mind reading thrown in there. But largely it's just quite a, a long novel about an eccentric family um, and how they cope with the... I don't know, the, the world outside and having to to act like and yeah how to you know combat the fact that they're quite eccentric when the world is not very eccentric yeah um, and both these books are the beginnings of trilogies in fact although yeah. I, the last two of Rebecca's rests were published posthumously and I think the third one possibly wasn't finished um, yeah. yes that's right so when did you uh, first read them well I read um, Invitation to the Walks a couple of years ago I think. Um, and The Fountain Overflows I read before I even started blogging, and I started blogging nine years ago, so probably a good decade ago, if not more. I just remember absolutely loving it, and I read the sequel, This Real Night, which is wonderful, and I never read Cousin Rosamond, which is the third, because it was unfinished, and I didn't feel that I wanted to read something that wasn't finished. I think somebody's tried to finish it, and it's one of those things I never feel comfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I should I say Cousin Rosamond is another character in this book who yeah, comes with her mother, who's called Constance, is she? Don't um, ask me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they sort of escape from her father and come and move in with them yeah. as well to, to, to add to this eccentric family. Um, but I just, I think um, Invitation to the Waltz was a... I've had for, it's one of those books I've had for years, hmm. um, and it's sequel as well, The Weather in the Streets, and I've been meaning to read it for ages and ages. And then one day, randomly, I just decided to pick it up. Um, I think I was rushing out the door to get the train to work, and thought, oh, I'll, I'll take this. Um, and I just fell in love with it. I loved the fact it was all set in one day. I thought that her ability to capture the voice of a teenager was remarkable. Mm-hmm. I really felt that. I was in the head of a girl that age and all of the things that you worry about and the the kind of crippling anxiety of, of having to go into a situation that you don't feel ready for and the pressure of, of doing it right and of everything being perfect. And I just thought it was wonderful. Yeah, so I, um, I've i had Invitation to the Watts for seven years and I've had The Fountain Overflows, I think, for about 15 years. <laughs> so it's good to finally read them. In fact, I think it came on my... I got a box set of 10 Viragos that the book People magazine was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think because I was, you know, my, I'd read a few and I thought, I'll try those. And I, in the years since, I've read very few of them, so it's nice to get another one <laughs> um, done. Uh, and they, I think what both books do well, and I will come on to the fact that I don't particularly like one of these books, <laughs> shortly, um, is they, they do the dialogue and the family dynamics very well. It feels very like a, a close group who understand each other and, you know, have shorthand for the way they talk and d- define themselves against the outside world, as it were. Um, and I like that in both, but I did, struggle a lot with the fountain overflows i'm afraid like the writing i enjoyed a lot but i loathed the characters so much that i found it really hard to, to keep going oh, no. 
And I, I couldn't. I was pretty sure they weren't supposed to be lo- loathsome. And indeed, the review on the back says that they um, are vivid and lovable. <laughs> <laughs> vivid, I'll give them. But I, <laughs> my main problem with it is that so there's these two sisters, Rose, the narrator, and her sister Mary, who are brilliant pianists, and their mother was a brilliant uh, pianist in her youth, and their sister Cordelia, who is a violinist who has. She says, uh, perfect pitch, nimble fingering, um, and something else good, I forget. But they think she's a dreadful musician. Yeah. Um, and she um, has a teacher who thinks she's great. She does all these concerts for people who really enjoy it. But the sisters and the mother think she's dreadful. She doesn't understand music, and she's do- you know, she doesn't know the difference between good music and bad music, and therefore it's shaming, and she must never enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really hate is people who think you- things like you know painting or playing instruments or writing or whatever creative things that you that you, they're not worth doing unless you're perfect and that if bringing other people joy doesn't matter if you're not you know fitting this you know objective standard that there apparently is um and it just made me so cross that they were so you know that they were so self-righteous and so unpleasant to her um and thought they were so perfect and i just wanted to, oh, I wanted to shake them all <laughs> <laughs> um and i think we mentioned this the lyrian spring i got quite frustrated with their art snobbery, but this was so much worse because she was thinking, I just want to go and do these concerts and people want to hear them and people are enjoying them. But they were, you know, telling how dreadful she was and how, well, they didn't tell her, but they, you know, they wanted to repress it. And I thought, just let people enjoy things. Anyway. <laughs> well, I've forgotten that part of it, but it's coming back to me now. You mentioned it, but <laughs> just, I just felt the world of it all was just magical. Yeah, and I should say that like, I would have stopped if I hadn't thought the writing was great, and if I hadn't, you know, they are vivid. It is it is a vividly drawn family, and it it felt a bit like um, I don't know, like Barbara Cummins or Rachel Ferguson or this. Mm. You know, as an eccentric family, uh, it, that part was done really well, and I even thought the supernatural elements were were done well. What did you think of those? What was going on? <laughs> I don't remember there being any supernatural elements. I think I must have just skipped over those parts. Yeah, it's it's all it is quite surprising. Suddenly, they go to, it's when they first go and visit Constance and Rosamond, and a, a fire poker gets thrown through the window, and they're like, "Oh, it's the poltergeist again!" And suddenly, out of nowhere, he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't work out if if there was actually a natural explanation. Uh, <laughs> but then Rose later does mind reading, where she puts her hands up against the side of someone's face, and she can understand their thoughts. Oh. But sort of just thrown in without not really changing the narrative particularly do you think it's perhaps to show their uh eccentricity even more or yeah i guess so or at least well the thing is that in neither case is it particularly surprising to anyone they just think oh sure yeah how are you going <laughs> so i did wonder if it was just things that rebecca west believed in i don't know <laughs> interesting no i've forgotten that part i mean i must read it again when i finally got my books out of storage yeah, then yeah. I should um, enjoy doing that. And what was the sequel like? I remember it being wonderful. Again, I mean, I just yeah. loved... I just absolutely loved... I haven't enjoyed um, Rebecca West's other books. I remember struggling my way through uh, the the one set in Russia. Um, oh, Black Falcon and something. Is yeah, that that was, yeah. or something like that. And I was just like, oh, this is weird. Um, but I love The Return of the Soldier. That's really oh, that's brilliant, stuff. yes, yeah. Um, but I haven't read... I never read Cousin Rosamond, as I said. Maybe I should try it. But um, I remember both of those books being absolutely brilliant. And I just thought these are 
this is what writing is. And I must have read it when I was about 19 or 20. And mm-hmm. I just thought this is incredible. And I don't know. I think I just picked it up in a charity shop and thought, yeah. oh, this looks interesting and gave it a read and just thought, wow, this is brilliant. Um, and Invitation to the Waltz was, I'd read a lot of Rosamund Lehman before with mixed results. And I think probably Invitation to the Waltz I've, I think my favourite of hers is The Echoing Grave, but I did really absolutely love um, just the voice and the her writing is just exquisite, I think. Both of yeah. them have a wonderful writing style. Yeah, Lehman's one of those authors, I think I bought all of her books before I'd read any of them. <laughs> I just sort of assumed I'd like her. And then it's only the second one I've read. I read um, Dusty Answer a few years ago and enjoyed that. But I don't know quite what... Put me off reading another one. Um, I don't know. Maybe all those, the, all the dancing in the title, maybe thought I wouldn't like it. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, her writing style wasn't what I expected because I think it, she had matured from Dusty Answer. Yeah, she was, I think she was quite young when she wrote that. Um, and it is, it's much more modernist than I was expecting. It does feel closer to Virginia Woolf than yeah, yeah, than your. It's very stream of consciousness, isn't it? Yeah, very stream of consciousness, but very grounded at the same time so it's not it's not with the intensity that Virginia Woolf does and I love no. Virginia Woolf as you know but um it's I, I thought of it as the perfect meeting point of Woolf and E.M. Delafield when you know when she's doing her more serious novels I guess um in that it is this these uh this family dynamic and it, it's you know you feel the emotions quite keenly but it is also there'll be you know quite a stream of consciousness uh, description of the garden or the sunset or something, and it, I think even, potentially, I think it's the opening, but with the opening of a chapter somewhere, it's just lovely description of the garden that really stopped me in my tracks. Because normally, when a chapter begins with telling you what the scenery is like, you feel like you can probably just skim over it, or at least I do. <laughs> but, um, but this, she she did a great job at um, making the description of the garden or, or whatever it was have emotional resonance as well as just telling you what was there. Mm. Um, it's all there for a reason. It's telling, yeah, um, yeah. I really, I really loved it. And there's not much going on. It is just who will dance with me, <laughs> what, what will happen. But um, she really, as you say, she just captured the anxiety and the feeling like a fish out of water, but also recognizing that whatever happens at these things might affect her for the rest of her life. Like you know, like in um, if you read Thank Heaven Fasting by Ian Delafield. Yes. Yeah. Which um, similarly is, you know, all these balls and like, will you get married if you need your desperate need to find? Yeah, it's that, I think what's really I really enjoy about books from that period is that you do get that real sense of anxiety around that first ball and thinking, you know, if I get this wrong, then that's it. This mm-hmm. is my chance. And if I don't meet anybody, or if if I get a reputation for being a wallflower or a bit you know, straight socially awkward or whatever, then no one's ever going to marry me and that's my life over. And it's amazing to read those books and realise, wow, it's it's less than 100 years ago, but how far we've come. Yeah, yeah. And because it's written at the time, she isn't really, it's not a social critique of that situation. No, it's just she's there and she's trying to, you know, battle with it, but also she's still excited about going to the sport. Yeah. She's still like, yeah. Um, Yes, it's a bit like the, the Catherine Mansfield short story. Um, I think it's called Her First Ball as well or something like that. It's, it's yes. those emotions um, very keenly there, but not saying it's, you know, bad for women or whatever. It's just this is what it is. This is the life we lead. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're not, you know, 
servants. They're, they're living a very privileged life in some ways, but it is still, you know, a, a difficult circus to negotiate. Well, absolutely. And if you can very easily put a foot wrong. Yeah. Whereas I guess The Fountain Overflows was 30 years later, or 20 years later, and they seem, particularly the narrator um, and her sister, seem not particularly bothered what the world thinks of them. No. That's one of the things that sets Cordelia apart, is that she really does care. Uh, well, the, that's the problem. Yeah. That's what yeah. takes... Her music gives it a false quality, Simon. Well, there you go, yeah. Yes. Really <laughs> but yeah, she's ashamed of the fact that, um, you know, they all dress shabbily, and, you know, mm. and they can't understand why that would bother them, <laughs> or why it would bother anyone. Um, yeah. And there's all sorts of... There's a whole section in the middle about trying to get some murderess off the off the hook or something. Mm. Which I feel like could probably have been dispensed with. <laughs> yes, I do think sometimes Rebecca West tries to put too much in. Yeah, I, I read um, Harriet Hume, which yes, again is in fact like about mind that. reading. No, I found that very boring. The first half I really enjoyed and then it became very about politics. And... I remember being very excited when I found it in the second-hand bookshop because I'd been looking for it for ages and I was like, oh wow, this never turns up and it was really cheap. And then I started reading it and thought, oh, well, that wasn't worth getting excited. Yeah. <laughs> Here's why it's cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because that's about mind reading, perhaps she does, you know, believe these things are real. Well, I, I do, do think believe. that she was a bit of a of an eccentric woman herself. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if she did. Yeah. <laughs> Which does make you wonder why the return of the soldier is so, in inverted commas, normal, I guess. <laughs> well, yes, but also interesting in that it does talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, which, you know, perhaps being mm. tuned into mental health issues is, speaks to perhaps some of her own... I think she did suffer with depression and things. Mm. Um, she had quite a turbulent life. She had an affair with H.G. Wells and... Well, who didn't? Well, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think she... Yeah, she had... She had a child, didn't she? She did, and I don't think he was very good to her and... Um, so it's, she had a very interesting life, but I would imagine that perhaps her controversial views might have added to her difficulties yeah. in some ways. I say, I say this with no knowledge whatsoever. I have got a biography <laughs> of her somewhere in a box that I've never oh, read. Oh, yes. Was it Victoria Glendinning did it? Yes. Maybe. Yes, I think I, I'm looking at my shelves. Apparently I don't own it. But Oh, no, there it is. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Next to my copy of Random Commentary, in fact. Oh, well. <laughs> um, gosh, those are odd bedfellows. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, this novel is quite autobiographical, according to Wikipedia or something that I saw it on. Oh, really? Hmm. Although I didn't know. I guess she must have been Rose, if anyone. Mm. I did like the mother, in, except when she was being a musical snob, but, but she was... Um, <laughs> This, uh, I guess, Tower of Strength and whatever. She, not a single mother because the father is there, but he's pretty, pretty useless when he is there. Well, he's rather absent, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he's supposedly running a local journal or local newspaper, but doesn't, something else is going on, something political is going on. I can't quite remember what, even though I finished it (laughs) yesterday. Oh, I'm really sad that you didn't love it. Maybe I'm worried now that if I reread it, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> yes, maybe you shouldn't reread it. <laughs> or maybe it's good to know. I guess it depends what, whether you have my strength of feeling about that. Because I imagine it's probably at least partly my own uh, recognition that I'm not as musical as these people. I'm one of those people who is not naturally musical, but has had 
playing the piano hammered into me. So, so I'm quite good at playing the piano, but not actually. I, you know, they probably would think I was dreadful and shouldn't be shown in public. So it it might just be a chip on my shoulder, I should say. Well, we'll, we'll find out. Um, I'd be interested to see what other people think of it, actually. Yes, and so w- now. Yes, and whether it is different, depending on whether or not you're a musician or, you know, an amateur musician or whatever. Because I was tr- whilst I was reading, I was trying to, in fairness to it, trying to think, if this was about, um, say, like, recitals, like reading recitals, because I was thinking where Marianne can't stand how um, Edward Ferris reads poetry aloud yes. in Sense Sensibility. Uh, I was thinking, if it was about that, would I find it as objectionable? <laughs> um, <laughs> and... And I concluded that I would, but I don't know if that's <laughs> if I was telling myself that. Because I, I don't know, I just feel very strongly that creative things sh- should bring people joy, and that's more important than them being perfect. Hmm. Well, you know, maybe it's just <laughs> maybe this was just the sensitivity. Potentially. I, I remember when I was reading it. Uh, it's coming back to me now, thinking. Um, Thinking that, that, that I, I didn't like, I didn't like Cordelia. That's that's what I remember. And that seems to be certainly where the narrative is steering us. But I felt so sorry for her. I <laughs> um, wonder whether I would feel differently yeah. about her reading it now. Maybe. Um, I didn't look very hard to find reviews online, but I did see that um, Ali had, from Heaven Ali had written one, and she loved it, and she was. Um, I don't think she disliked Cordelia particularly, but I don't think she felt sorry for in the way that I did. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear more. Maybe uh, you're just or... kinder than us. <laughs> yeah, that's almost <laughs> certainly what it is. I'm just a better person. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect I'm a kinder person than Rebecca West was, but I don't think that's probably true of quite a lot of us. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I, do, um, I do like the Soror relationship in uh, Invitation to the Worlds in that they have sort of a competition when they're at this dance, Kate and Olivia, mm. about, you know, who's dancing with which person, who's got to stand at the side um, in dances who'll be picked. But it's not, they're not like bitter enemies. They're very far from that. They, they're supportive. But once they're on the dance floor, it is every woman for herself, as it were. Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought it, she did a re- it's a really convincing picture of a sibling relationship where they desperately love each other, but also, you know, they're not going to live together forever. And they... They do know that in this place, it might mean that one of them finds a husband and one of them doesn't. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Yeah, I think that I really like depictions of sibling relationships, especially same-sex siblings, because there is that, you know, adoration and love of each other, where you do anything for each other. But there is also always that element of competition. Mm. And I think anyone who says that there isn't is lying. Yeah, or you'd have to have a big age gap if between you if there weren't or something. I mean, there's a big age gap between my sister and I, but there's always going to be, there's okay. always, there's always an element there, I think. Not like, not massively between us at all, but there's always, people always compare you still. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, obviously coming from the perspective of being a twin, that, you know, throughout school and childhood, we, we, in direct competition, you know, doing exams at the same time yeah. or whatever. So it was certainly very pronounced when, um, so, uh, I can't remember, even though, again, I only read it recently, what the rest of the family's like, but I guess they, they're they only there at the beginning. Mm. Um, I think the dad was quite... Oh, no, there's that, there's that weird uncle who lives with them, isn't there? Or something who's... Uncle yes. Oswald. Yes. yes. Who, um, I hope, appears in the sequel more, because he was intriguing. He's sort of just 
Was he? Is he poor, and that's why he's, he's like he's the poor, poor relative? He's poor, and he's a bachelor, but he's got a lot of interesting things. And I, I feel like he's he needs to be looked after for some reason, but I can't remember why. I think yeah, he's, he's I'm a not bit sure we find out. He's a bit yeah. simple, I think, or they think he's a bit simple. Yeah, and this his sort of big moment is when he gives um, Olivia a ten shilling note or something for her birthday. And she's put out a hand to shake his hand, and he and it's this excruciating moment, which I thought was really well judged by mm. by Layman, where she thinks, "Oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing," because it looks like I was expecting the money when I put yeah. out my hand to shake his hand, and it is the sort of thing that someone, a teenager, would obsess about, thinking, yeah. "Oh gosh, what was everyone thinking of me? Do I look like this? Do I look like that?" Um, when probably most of them didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's, I mean, in some ways, it's reassuring. In some ways, it's pretty bad to think as ever was you know yeah <laughs> almost 100 years before i was a teenager or 80 years whatever um <laughs> things were just as awkward <laughs> they're all the same really yes <laughs> um and you say you read the sequel so um is that what's that like it's very good so olivia's older and it's she's i think she Oh no, hang on, that's a different sequel to a different book. Uh, it's old, and it's basically about her relationships, um, when she's in her twenties. It's really good. Just as good, mm. actually. And I'd be intrigued to know, and I don't, I don't know if the information's out there, whether these were originally written as the beginning of series, or, um, or if they were just, you know, once they did well or something, they thought, oh, I'll see what happens later. I don't know, yeah, I don't know about that. I think, I mean, certainly nowadays people seem definitely write books. You can tell it's a sequel because they always end with some sort of cliffhanger that you've got to wait yeah. for the next one. But those books, are, they do both end perfectly well as they are, from my memory of them. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, if I didn't already know that Invitation to the Waltz had a sequel, I would think there was no, it shouldn't have one. <laughs> and now that I have heard from you and others that the sequel's good, I'd like love to read it. But, um, but this one, because it's set in that one day, it feels so perfect as a whole, like like a sort of sphere or something that doesn't doesn't need anything else. But um, it'll be intriguing to see what the sequel is like. And as I say, I do have all her books, so I definitely have that one as well. Well, I think that uh, you'd really enjoy it. Yeah. You'd try. Um, and it's not really a sequel. It's sort of a revisiting, I suppose. Okay, just like the same characters rather yeah. than the same story. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. It's very different in style, actually. Oh really? Oh, that's interesting. Because it's, so it's, yeah. it's not one day, and it's yeah, it's a slightly different writing style. I don't know how much later she wrote it, but it's it's just as is is amazing, and but it's very, it doesn't have the same feel to it. There's a lightness of touch, I think, to an invitation to the waltz, and then the weather in the streets feels more dense. Okay, interesting. Um, I should read it before I forget what this one's like. You should. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, I think we're coming to our decision-making time. Well, I know um, what you're going to. Yes, it is no surprise <laughs> that I'm certainly going to pick Invitations to the Worlds. Although, I have decided I am going to keep the Fountain Overflows. So, whilst reading it, I was thinking I'm going to get rid of this when I finish. <laughs> <laughs> In justice to it, I think I will, will keep it, though I'm not going to rush onto the sequels immediately. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to choose, really. Um... I think probably for lasting appeal, the book that stayed with me, I would probably say The Fountain Overflows, but I do need to reread it because I'm worried now that I'm going to reread it. <laughs> this is awful. Yes, well, report back as and when that I happens. And, I see, and I hope for your sake that you still like it. <laughs> well, I hope so. Fingers crossed. 
Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, um, it's always good to have some disparity. Yeah. Much like in a book group. Absolutely. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the next episode, we will be looking at two novels by Shirley Jackson, um, The Haunting of Hill House and We Have Always Lived in a Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, in the castle, rather. Which, incidentally, I read for the first time uh, in the postal book group I was in. So, there you go. Come full circle. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, until next time, yeah. Thanks yeah. for listening. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye. All the books and authors mentioned are at stuckinabook.com and you can go to Rachel's blog at booksnob.wordpress.com. You can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash tlbooks where there are various rewards including a book each month. Many thanks to those who do and special thanks to Randy Elizabeth and Gracie. And we'll speak to you next time. Bye.